0: President Donald Trump has used the term clean coal a lot lately, often when talking about bringing back the coal industry. There is a thing called clean coal. Clean
1: coal, coal, right? Clean coal. we ended the war on beautiful beautiful, clean coal. And we're going to have clean coal. It's Clean clean coal. Clean coal. American clean coal will power this future.
0: But what does he actually mean when he says clean coal? In truth, it can mean a lot of different things. When many people talk about clean coal, they're talking about cleaning up carbon dioxide out of coal emissions. In Wyoming, where the majority of this country's coal is still mined, clean coal is looked at as a possible economic savior. Without it, the industry faces a long, slow decline. It's a big deal for a lot of other people, too. Forty percent of the world still depends on coal for electricity, and it's still one of the cheapest and most abundant fuels. And CO2 from coal and other fossil fuels is causing global warming. So it would be nice if, you know, we didn't produce CO2 from burning coal. In some places that really depend on coal, this concept of clean coal is really looked at as a holy grail. To explain how is Inside Energy's Madeline Beck.
2: The whole concept of clean coal is wonky. Real technical, real complicated, not this simple at all. Clean coal, meaning they're taking out coal, they're going to clean it. My first outline for this story was like a master's thesis on the subject. Long and dull. But here's the thing. From my reporting, I've found many people on both sides of the aisle think that this could be a world-changing technology. That it could be one of the only ways to keep climate change from warming the earth more than two degrees above pre-industrial levels. That's when some believe we will reach a tipping point and we'll be headed for uncontrollable warming. Yeah, kind of crazy. And that sound? Icebergs calving into the ocean. So early on, I freaked out a bit about how to get this idea across to regular people who care about their world, but don't care much about coal. So I called my best friend Dylan. He's a 25-year-old artist working graveyard shifts at a grocery store. Okay, so if I'm doing a podcast about clean coal, what would you want to know about clean coal?
0: I don't know. Like when it comes, I, I don't have many thoughts on coal, Madeline.
2: But he's the type of person I want to listen to this. Someone who doesn't think about coal. I needed to know if there was any coal-related thing he cared about. So I nudged him.
0: I guess like with coal in general, why do we need to keep it, and why is it such a controversy, and why does it just why does it get eliminated, or What makes the coal clean? How do you clean coal?
2: So I'm breaking it down so folks like Dylan are interested. Because this clean coal project? It's something that's simmering under the surface right now, but could be a worldwide discussion going forward. I mean, for some, like David Earnshaw, it means everything.
3: I'm 86 years old now, so I don't have an awful lot of years left. And I want to try to use them to the best advantage to try to keep doing this, because I think it's... For me, it's the most important uh, project or most important subject in the world.
2: So the guy you just heard, David Earnshaw, Remember him. You'll hear more from him later. But first, we're going to go back to where clean coal is from, where it already overcame a lot of struggles. Struggles like acid rain. It goes back to the 80s, and since then, permeated the culture.
3: Good lord, acid rain! I'm
1: singing in the rain! I just sing in the rain!
2: What a glorious feeling!
4: Ah! It burns
2: like a Glasgow Bikini Wax! As you heard, it even made it into The Simpsons. Granted, you couldn't actually feel it burning your skin. But people were legitimately afraid that Washington, D.C.'s limestone buildings were going to crumble and ecosystems would die out. Here's a CBS news clip from 1983.
1: The water in acid rain carries poisons like sulfuric acid. That acid and its effects have been blamed for killing fish and plant life in hundreds of lakes in the northeastern United States and Canada.
2: You see, coal emissions were a major contributor to acid rain. So Congress came up with the term clean coal as something to shoot for. Less sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxides coming from coal emissions so those didn't get into the air we breathe. And in 1980, we couldn't abandon the coal because half the nation's energy still came from the black carbon. But it needed to be cleaned up. So here's step number one in the climb to clean coal. There was a known technology to clean up emissions called Scrubbers, real original name. Scrubbers use a combination of water droplets and limestone to essentially pull sulfur dioxide out of coal emissions after the coal is burned. But they weren't adopted immediately. Meet John Thompson.
1: Well, I was a uh... A student at the University of Illinois getting my chemical engineering degree in the late 1970s, early 80s.
2: He was part of an effort at the university to get those scrubbers up and running.
1: And the governor of the state of Illinois was proposing to convert our campus power plant from burning natural gas to high sulfur Illinois coal. And he wasn't going to put scrubbers on it.
2: Along with a group of faculty and other students, Thompson convinced Governor James Thompson no relation, that his new coal plant, it had to have scrubbers.
1: And so he helicoptered onto the campus in 1982, announced scrubbers on the plant, and that there would be others following. And it became a national demonstration effort for the role of sulfur dioxide scrubbers on coal.
2: And these scrubbers really did clean the coal, or at least its sulfur dioxide and nitrogen oxide emissions. But it was a regulation, not a new technology, that finally got the coal industry to clean up its SO2 problem. In 1990, Congress strengthened the Clean Air Act, limiting sulfur emissions to about half what they were in 1980, and scrubbers were the best, cheapest way to clean those emissions. And also, as a result, power plants started looking for coal with less sulfur naturally, and they found it by moving their coal supply chain from Appalachia to Wyoming. And these early clean coal efforts worked. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency found that between 1990 and 2010 sulfur dioxide emissions dropped 51% even as coal use grew. for clean coal gets more difficult. We just talked about cleaning up sulfur emissions, but that's not all that people are concerned about when it comes to coal. Basically, scrubbers scrub a lot of gunk out of coal emissions, but not carbon dioxide. To get that out, plants need a much more complex process to not only remove the carbon, but sequester it for either storage or transport. And while we know how to capture CO2, it takes a ton of energy to remove it from coal emissions. So, instead of raining down as acid rain, those carbon emissions stay up in the atmosphere for a while to help insulate us in a warm, fuzzy carbon blanket, leading to global warming, climate change. It's true that other energy sources do this too, but coal is the heaviest emitter. Natural gas, its runner-up, emits only about half the carbon emissions. With that in mind, there's a lot of people out there that just want to stop using coal altogether.
1: Clean coal is so, we argue about this so its just a misnomer.
2: If you didn't just have a junior high science class flashback, that's Bill Nye, the science guy. He's talking on MSNBC.
1: You're making carbon dioxide, which is causing the world to warm faster than it ever has warmed in history. and This will have tremendous consequences for everyone in the world. Clean coal is a myth.
2: And Bill Nye isn't alone. The Sierra Club has a Beyond Coal campaign, and it isn't backing down. My name is Connie Wilbert. I am the director of the Sierra Club here in Wyoming, the Wyoming chapter. She's from Wyoming, a state that depends on coal for its economy and is the number one coal-producing state in the nation. But she sticks by the Sierra Club's stance on clean coal tech. It's still... Basically, expensive, unproven potential technology. And it's just not a good use of our money or resources right now. We think that there are other much more viable, truly clean energy sources like wind and solar that are ready to go. Ready to go, but not ready to completely overtake coal in the next few years. The U.S. is using less coal, largely because of low natural gas prices... In the last five years, from 2011 to 2016, U.S. coal production dropped 33%. But as of July 2017, there were nearly 700 large plants still operating in the nation. So it'll take decades to phase it out entirely, if that happens. As of July, there were 530 coal plants under construction around the world, with several hundred more in the wings. So other environmental groups like the Natural Resources Defense Council and Clean Air Task Force, they think realistically coal is going to continue to be burnt for a long time. And in this instance, they're standing alongside groups in the fossil fuel industries and in the US government by promoting something called carbon capture. <laughs> So if some environmental groups are even on board for carbon capture, what's their argument? Well, Thompson can tell you. Remember him? He's the guy who helped get scrubbers on smokestacks in Illinois. Now he works for the Clean Air Task Force, a nonprofit that aims to mitigate the effects of climate change. There he's pushing to clean up carbon from coal emissions, but he's not just focusing on coal.
1: It certainly has its place on coal. But it also works on new gas plants. It works on industrial facilities too.
2: See, as of 2010, more than a fifth of the worldwide carbon emissions were from other industries like cement and steel making. But right now, coal is a main focus because it's such a big CO2 emitter. And in Wyoming, there's a big old project costing more than $20 million going up on the backside of a coal plant. The coal plant is called the Dry Fork Station. It's huge, with a smokestack reaching up about 500 feet. If you go around back, jutting off a huge pipe-looking structure, there's a metal box on scaffolding. It's pretty dinky in comparison to the rest of the plant, but both it and a few new gravel pads beyond it symbolize one of Wyoming's biggest bets for clean coal.
3: I use the word, and I don't use it terribly lightly, uh, but this is kind of the holy grail of coal.
2: That's Kurt Pearson. He's a spokesman for Basin Electric, which is an energy cooperative that owns the power plant. He took me around to look at how this metal box is connected with the larger, multi million dollar project known as the Integrated Test Center. The coal emissions from the power plant will be funneled down through piping underground to gravel pads. Researchers are going to set up their own trailers or pop up buildings on these gravel pads using the freshly produced emissions to find the best way to capture carbon and turn it into a marketable product. Jason Beggar is the head guy overseeing the test center. He's the executive director of the Wyoming Infrastructure Authority, and I talked with him back in his office in Cheyenne about what this means for the state.
4: When you look at like what's happening now with like school construction funding and university funding, I mean, pick your funding issue, you know, over the last couple years... Things have changed.
2: He's talking about struggles that the oil, gas, and coal industries have seen over the past few years. Wyoming's school capital construction costs, which were about $100 million a year, were almost completely funded by coal leases. And now, there are no new leases. And this coal slump is hurting a lot of other areas, too. This very red state, even considered an income tax, it's one of seven states without one. But Beggar says coal is about more than keeping taxes low. It's about coal-town communities and jobs, a way of life that could be lost.
4: There's one thing that, you know, you kind of look at it and get sort of, I don't know, depressed or down. Like, okay, things are changing, but also that's when opportunity exists.
2: Opportunities, like carbon-captured technology, could bring people together.
4: You know, climate change itself, I mean, that whole conversation, it, it has almost become religious in a sense, you know, on both sides, not pointing fingers. And so it's like, you you guys are kicking around a political football. Let's just really focus on the technology engineering sort of things and, and depoliticize this.
2: It could be a win for climate change activists and the coal industry. If a coal plant can capture CO2 and turn it into something that people want, it could sell that product. Then it could recoup the cost of capturing carbon and maybe even make money. While, you know, keeping emissions out of the atmosphere. And it really doesn't matter what the product is as long as it makes money. They're messing with cement, protein powder, shoes, all kinds of stuff. And most of it's doable, it's just the money factor. We've known how to capture carbon for decades, but it just costs too much and takes too much energy for any plant to actually want to do it, or even be able to do it without losing a ton of money. Take one high-profile example, the Kemper County Energy Facility in Mississippi. It was supposed to cost less than $3 billion and finish up in 2014. Costs skyrocketed, and three years after the expected finish, the price tag was at $7.5 billion. Developers gave up and now the facility will only burn gas. So at this Wyoming test center, they're hoping to turn the clean coal story from a costly failure to that win-win scenario.
3: Well,
1: from the engineering perspective, the carbon dioxide going up the stack is nothing more, nothing less than a waste
3: product.
2: That's Dennis Thorfinson, head engineer at the Dry Fork Coal Plant, who's also overseeing the construction of the Integrated Test Center. I met him near there at the Arbuckle Lodge, a hotel in Gillette, Wyoming. He has a full, blonde mustache and large glasses. He's skeptical of things he can't prove, but sticks by what he can. He says it doesn't matter if people buy into human-caused climate change or not.
1: If we can do something with the carbon dioxide, and make it profitable, well, then everybody wins.
2: And there's a few other types of clean coal to recognize, too. Wyomingites are working to store it underground permanently, something called carbon sequestration, and they're also injecting CO2 into old oil fields. That's called enhanced oil recovery. Thompson, from the Clean Air Task Force, says it's a big draw in a state that also depends on oil and gas for revenue.
1: It produces more oil, and it also, at the same time, traps the CO2 and locks it into that uh, those oil formations so that it doesn't reach the atmosphere.
2: And then there's another type of carbon capture that Thompson and others think has a lot of promise. The alum cycle, using carbon emissions to make energy, with carbon dioxide turning turbines. Bill Brown is the CEO of NetPower, a company working on this process. He spoke at a press conference in North Dakota about the alum cycle. At that presser, a reporter brings up the failed Kemper facility in Mississippi. He says,
3: There are a lot of lessons learned. First of all, I don't blame Kemper at all. I think that Kemper is the brick phone. Remember brick phones? They were the size of bricks and you held them to your, uh, your face and you talked on them. Well, today we have these.
2: He holds up a smartphone.
3: We're the this version of, of carbon capture.
2: He says it was the initial movement that started the ball
3: rolling. And so it takes people building something, going through the expense, and helping us figure out how to miniaturize it, how to make it more more economical. And that's what we're doing.
2: Are the dreamers.
3: I'm 86 years old now, so I don't have an awful lot of years left, and I want to try to use them to the best advantage to try to keep doing this.
2: That's David Earnshaw, the guy you heard at the very beginning of this podcast. He's one of two men in their 80s who think that their solution is the best clean coal out there because it doesn't involve burning coal for energy. It's making emissions-free energy using something else that can also break down coal for products. It's called a lifter.
3: For me, it's the most important uh, project or most important subject in the world. To
2: explain, a lifter, spelled L-F-T-R, is a liquid fluoride thorium reactor. Bit of a mouthful. It was a big contender to be the way the U.S. used nuclear power. Basically, it's a nuclear reactor that doesn't use uranium like most nuclear reactors, but instead mostly uses something called thorium. And a major difference between a lifter and a regular nuclear plant is that a lifter gets a lot hotter. And because of that heat, it could be used to break coal down into products which could be sold to keep the coal industry and coal communities
3: afloat, in theory. This represents the saving of the coal mining industry. And it is clean coal because no CO2 or emissions are produced in in the process. So that is the only clean coal there is.
2: That's David Copeland. He's working with Earnshaw, who first read about lifters in The American Scientist in 2010.
3: And when I read the article, it just blew me away. I've never had anything like that uh, that uh, affected me as greatly as this did. And so uh, enlisted David uh, Copeland, and the two of us have been working at it ever since. We're both folk dancers, and we got together, and he said, Dave, you got to look at this. And so we've been plugging away.
2: And the two have been reaching out to state bodies and news organizations to promote lifters.
3: Talking it up.
2: But they aren't the only ones touting the technology. You can see TED Talks on it from Beirut, Copenhagen, CERN, and even Colorado. They're interested because it would have far less nuclear waste than our current reactors. Here's Kirk Sorensen, an engineer and nuclear technologist, talking at TEDx Colorado Springs.
0: To me, this is one of the great regrets, again, that that this technology path was not chosen.
2: But no commercial-grade lifter has gotten off the ground. China announced plans to build one, but nothing has come of it yet. All these men have is a dream, some science, and a price tag. Here's Earnshaw.
3: We figured that it'd cost about $2 billion to uh, get the lifter up and running to the point where you'd start making them in a factory. And uh, that, compared to the amount we spend on energy now, is a relatively small sum. Now, I don't know, I don't have that in my hip pocket, but uh, really, it wouldn't take a great deal of uh, money if we could just find the right people to do it.
2: They've made little progress on lifters after years of work. So I asked them how much longer they can keep working on this. Earnshaw says...
3: Well, I guess until I die or until I don't have the energy or the wit to continue any further. Copeland added to that. Yeah, and the outcome isn't up to us anyway. We just have to keep on trucking.
2: We've explored clean coal's past and different kinds of clean coal, but what are the stakes? Well, about 30% of the energy in the United States and about 40% of the world's energy still comes from coal. And while U.S. coal use is on the decline, the world's coal use is not. So we're still pumping tons of CO2 in the air, so much so that scientists believe that even if we stopped doing that today, we'd still need to suck those carbon emissions directly from the air, not just at power plants. Now, we do know how to capture carbon from the air and from coal emissions, but the price for both is still too high. Way too high. And that's after coal companies alone have spent a decade working to clean that CO2 from their plants. And people and governments around the world have been working on carbon capture too spending about $10 billion on it through capital investments. But according to the Global CCS Institute, which promotes the use of carbon capture to mitigate climate change, the world needs 2,000 carbon capture and storage facilities around the world by 2040 to avoid some of the worst consequences of climate change. And still, we only have 17 large CCS facilities around the world. And a swath of failed clean coal projects, and projects too expensive to recreate without a lot of outside money. Now, President Donald Trump has touted clean coal going forward. My administration is putting an
1: end to the war on coal. Gonna have clean coal. Really clean coal.
2: But he talks about it like our coal is already clean. That there's nothing we need to do to it except bring it back. But looking back at the several large-scale clean coal flops, it's hard to imagine how this is going to work. But Thompson of the Clean Air Task Force has an idea of how to do that. Incentivize carbon capture like we've incentivized renewables.
1: And so my my hope is that these incentives that mirror a lot what renewables have have received and currently receive in the United States will drive carbon capture over the next 15 years. Uh, to about the same levels that renewables are enjoying today in the energy system. And I think that's something that uh, people on all sides of the ideological spectrum can find attractive.
2: There is some movement in Congress to further incentivize carbon capture through tax breaks. One such bill is the Future Act, which is sponsored by Democratic Senator Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota and co-sponsored by 24 senators, including Wyoming's John Barrasso. Uh,
4: We had lunch this week with President Trump, and he talked about American energy.
2: That's Barrasso talking with me in October.
4: And, you know, he used to talk about energy security, and then we tried to talk about energy independence, but now the president is talking about energy dominance, and I think that's an important way to think about things.
2: Basically, he's a big fan of any technology that keeps coal around and that helps keep Wyoming's economy stable. Thompson pointed out that Republicans want to help fossil fuel industries thrive in their states, and Democrats want to mitigate climate change. So Congress could build momentum around this, theoretically. But it's failed in the past because each side has their favorite ways of moving forward. And still, Thompson is optimistic
1: even if it isn't, you know, at the moment, the favorite among, let's say, environmentalists or industry. uh, I think its day is coming, and it's coming much sooner than people expect.
2: He says that, with immediate help, carbon capture facilities could start going up nationwide in three to five years. He also acknowledges that solutions to climate change could take decades. But he'll keep working on it through carbon capture, because...
1: I feel we have the inherent advantage of being right.
2: So now my friend Dylan knows about clean coal. But he isn't convinced that it's such a great idea.
3: I don't want to have to send Matthew McConaughey into space in order to save humanity. The main thing I kind of took away, honestly, was Bill Nye. Just the thought that it might then it might be almost just a bit of a
0: ruse in order to, again, protect the coal industry.
2: An industry that may be struggling, but is not going away anytime soon.
0: You've been listening to an Inside Energy special on Clean Coal. Please send us questions about clean coal, coal emissions, or anything else energy-related to ask at insideenergy.org. The answers may become our next podcast.